0: father we uh, we love the love bettors uh, as dear members of this church and i just pray your blessing over the rest of this adoption process that it, you know seven months or less you know but but your timing in all things is what we pray i pray you'd meet their financial needs with with your great resources whatever that looks like however that happens i, I pray you would do this thing and that you would get glory with it all we thank you for nadia We thank you for hope. What what an awesome thing. And and I pray you'd bring her to this family and to this church soon. Pray you protect her and keep her. And even as she hears things and hears news about what's happening in her life, just give her peace, protect her heart, get her ready for the big journey she's about to take as well. And now we pray for your word that you'd bless it and bless us as we hear it. Bless me as I speak it, to speak it correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the 17th century, there was a, an emperor in India named Shah Jahan. A, and Shah Jahan had two wives. And then, and then he married a third wife. I think she was 15 when they were betrothed, and then waited about five years, and then, and then they were finally married. And, and he married this girl, and, and she became his favorite uh, of the three. And she um, she had 13 kids. He, he wrote about his love for her, just, just how she was so amazing and so beautiful to him. She accompanied him when he did his military campaigns. She was an advisor to him. He trusted her. She was kind of... In, in, in the realm of politics, she didn't like actually make political decisions, but she was kind of present and there and, and supportive. And he loved her. He loved her. During labor of her 14th child, she died. And uh, Shah Jahan was overcome with remorse, with, with with sadness and grief over his loss. And historical records say that he he went into mourning and he kind of secluded himself for a year. Just nobody saw him. He didn't go around. He was just kind of by himself. And after a year he came out and they said his face looked hardened. They said his his back was hunched over. And they said his raven black hair had turned to white. That's what they say. And what he determined to do was to build this amazing grand tomb for his late wife. He was going to do this. And so at the cost of over 500,000 rupees, which uh, adjusts for inflation, translate to dollars, maybe like 827 million dollars, 827 million dollars, he constructed this huge building to commemorate her, where her body could be placed. Took 20,000 workers to get the thing done. It took over 20 years to build it. We call it the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal. Now, Taj Mahal is a pretty impressive building. And I think we. When you love somebody, you want to do something for them. You know, it's just, that, that's the way we're wired. And so, you know, when you're emperor and you have unlimited resources, you can start a 20-year project to make a tomb for your, your deceased wife. You, you, you could do that. But we all want to show it somehow. When you get married, you got that ring and you're, you're going to pop the question. You spent, you spent some dollars on that ring. When you love the Lord, you naturally want to do things for Him too. Well, you you want to go on missions trips, you know, across the world, spend thousands of dollars to tell people about Christ or to serve missionaries and and support them. You, You want to do these things. You want to be involved in Bible study so you can, you can dig into God's word. You attend church on Sundays. If you're musical, you might want to give your, your gifts for the worship team to, to use them for the church. If there's no church where you live, you may be involved in building a church building, literally building a building for the Lord. But, but all of us have this thing in us that wants to, to love on, to do something for the people we love. Sometimes, though, God just says back to us, no, it's not going to happen. You're not going to do that. It's just not happening. And then what? That's where we're picking up the story in King David's life. You know, he's, he's king now. The Ark of the Covenant's in Jerusalem. They've, they've celebrated. He's the king. He's fighting some battles with enemies. And, and now he says to himself, I want to build God a house. Check out Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, please. Second Samuel uh, chapter 7. Where we're going this morning is talking about God's sovereignty over the church. And, and you'll see how this all connects as we go. Hopefully I make all the right connections. I kind of Worried about this a lot to make all the right connections. We'll see if I've done a good job or not. Um, here we go. Second uh, Samuel 7, King David. After the king had settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt in a house from the day... I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place... With a tent as my dwelling, wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, that I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, we'll pause there. So, like any normal king in ancient times, w- when kings come to power, they often want to build a temple for their gods it's just it's just what ancient kings do now I'm not trying to second guess David's motivation here because it seems like David has these motives of why don't I get this palace built of cedar you know b- b- being an awesome wood to use to build this this amazing palace David's in but but I look and see the Ark of the covenant God's presence is in the tabernacle, otherwise called a tent it's in a tent now now of course God instructed how that tent was designed, but it's still a tent. I'm in a palace. God needs an amazing house. If I get a great house, certainly God deserves a great house. So David wants to do something for God. And, and at first, Nathan the prophet, who seems to be kind of taking over Samuel's place as an advisor to the king, spokesperson for God, Nathan says, well, God's already with you, do it. God is for you, David. Just do it. And then God comes to Nathan at night and says, Uh-uh, tell David this. The Lord says, No, you're not the one to do this. So I had a couple versions of this message written. Uh, you're only going to get a snippet of version number one. And it, w- it was going to be uh, when God says no to your dreams. You know, like that's a tough one. But, but I, wanna, I just want to look at it from this angle. Uh, God did tell David no, and we've got to ask the question, why why didn't God let David build the temple? Because in a minute, God is going to let David's son build the temple, but David's not. Why not? There's a few reasons. Uh, The first one you see is when he says, uh, this is verse 5, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? You... Now, God's not saying, no temple, no way, no how, but he's saying, you're not the one. I'm sorry, you're not the one. It's going to be your son. Solomon's going to be the one, but it's not going to be you. S- sometimes God says no, and it's just this. You're not the right person to do it. It, it shouldn't be you. Uh, Chronicles puts it this way. If we have that verse, we'll put it up. Chronicles 22. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood. You fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you've shed much blood on the earth in my sight. It's kind of like, I know David fought the Lord's battles, but there's something about the taking of life. There's just something about it that's a serious thing, even in war. And God said, you're not going to build the temple for me. It's not going to happen. You've shed a lot of blood. So you're not the right person. Now, if God says no to you, can you... Can... How does it feel if God says, no, you're not going to do this, but they are? The door's slammed in your face, but it's wide open for them. And it, say it's a good thing. I mean, I, uh, the, the lead in and their adoption, I'll use them as a key example because I know families that want to adopt that can't. They, they didn't have an approved home study. And I think they're, some of them, one of them that I know, I think they're a pretty awesome family from, from what I can see. Maybe I can't see something that, that the Lord can see, but but it's a no. Some people, it's a no. And you say, well, why is that? Why is that? Why would God tell you no when you want to do such a good, good thing? Sometimes you're not the right person. And you got to live with that. He sees something that maybe you don't see. Uh, secondly, uh, God says uh, later, he says... Uh, Let's do this. Verse uh, 7, Wherever I moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So secondly, God says, I didn't tell you to do it. I, I didn't ask you to build this temple, and, and here you go building it. You know? Do you ever go into, this is a really crude example, but you, you go to the restaurant, you know, and, and some of you Dr. Pepper lovers, you know who you are. You, know, you go, Andrew, that's you. I know it's you. I said this for you. You go in there, you order a Dr. Pepper, and they say, Mr. Pimp, no, that's not what I said. Dr. Pe- Mr. Pimp, no, that's not what I want. Uh, I don't do that, by the way. I don't know if Andrew does that either. Do, I don't know. <laughs> but, but basically, like, I, I didn't ask for that. I, I don't want that. I know what I want. It's not the same thing. All right, It's not the same. But God's like, I, I commanded Israel to build me a tabernacle in painstaking detail, I didn't ask for a temple. So, so why do you want to do that? Okay? S- sometimes we have big plans, and then we baptize them in the name of the Lord. You know? And God's like, I, I didn't tell you to do that. Or you're like, well, I just felt really good about doing this. I feel like this big plan's going to work because it just makes me feel happy inside. And God's like, I didn't tell you to do it. But you don't understand the, the joy I feel. Oh, and I already told everybody that you, I feel like you want me to do it. it it's like it's like uh, when you're in college, right? Um, how many how many guys at a Christian school uh, said to to, to to the girlfriend, you know, who didn't even know what she wanted, but he said, "I think God's leading me to you. I think God's telling us we should get married." And the girl's saying, I, "Be nice if you talked to me about that, <laughs> right? You know, uh, we we can baptize anything." <laughs> And say, the Lord said, and who can contradict? The Lord said. I've heard that in the church. The Lord told me to serve in this way. And you're like, boy, you're the last person that should serve in that way. The Lord told me. How do you, what do you do? Uh, sometimes God just didn't ask you to do it, and you just felt good about something. And God's really saying, no. You better be able to hear that. Uh, C. C is, uh, it, it kind of, obscures something God is doing. Like, your plan somehow is is getting in the way of what God's actually doing. So in this case, God says, um, in verse 6, I think it is, I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. So wherever the Israelites went, the tabernacle went. Now Israel's in the land, so he will allow a temple. He's going to. But isn't there something awesome about the fact that a tent moves from place to place, which means God moves from place to place and he's moving amongst his people. Sometimes your plan just gets in the way of how God wants to reveal himself. Okay? Does that make sense? God's like, I'm a mover. And if you build a temple, don't think that I'm stuck there. I'm moving among the people. I mean, that's what we're kind of celebrating today. Again, I think that there's less of the singing but there's more of the hearing about what God is doing through the Gideons, through the Leviters. I mean, we're hearing what's going on. God's on the move. He's on the move amongst his people. That's pretty awesome. Sometimes your plan obscures what God is trying to do. Not that your plan's bad, his is just better. Okay? So, I could have preached a whole sermon on that. Some of you are like done. Like, that's all I needed to hear. I'm done. Uh, But let's keep going because there is a yes here, okay? There is a big, we heard the no, here's the yes. Uh, Verse 8. Now tell my servant David, by the way, Moses was always called my servant Moses. Just a really cool connection. Uh, God made a covenant with Moses in Israel. God's about to make a covenant with David. Check out, now this is, What I'm about to read is God's covenant with 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 David. A covenant is like a contract, an agreement between two parties. You might even say a covenant is like God's job description. It's God saying, "Here's what I'm going to do: A, B, C. I'm going to do these things. I'm promising." Okay, here we go, verse eight. Now tell my servant David, "This is what the Lord Almighty says: I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock." And appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies before you, think Goliath. Um, I will make your, Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, The Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported all the words of the entire revelation to David. Boy. Davidic covenant. God's Job description. What is God saying he will do? What is he promising to do? Well, he's saying, first of all, I'll make your name great. I will make David's name great. By the way, there's a key connection I'm going to make in a couple minutes to connect this covenant to the church. Okay? That, that's coming. So I want to give a little bit of insight into how this fits the church too. I'm going to make David's name great. Great. Hence, we're talking about David today and we talk about David a lot in the church. David's name is great and this is proof this morning. His name is great. God will make your name great. You're part of this covenant, the new covenant, right? That builds on the old covenants. You're part of the covenant. He'll make your name great. In fact, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life if you believe Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your name's written there. In fact, one of the worst things you could ever hear on Judgment Day is, I never knew you. I never knew you. But God knows your name. He knows who you are. And if, if the greatest being in the universe knows your name, then your name, in some ways, is great. God will make David's name great. What else will he do? He will plant Israel in their land. He'll plant Israel. You notice, whenever these covenants happen, there's always land involved. You know, Abraham is saying, I'm I'm going to make you a nation and give you this land. It's also true of the new covenant. Heaven and earth will will somehow collide together, and we're going to be in this new land with Jesus. We call it heaven, but it's a land. It's a land. There's land for Israel. And yes, it seems like it's been contested for centuries. But there's a land for Israel and there's a land for the church. We call it heaven. There's land. See, I'll give you rest from your enemies. David's going to beat a lot of enemies down. And throughout Israel's history, there's going to be a lot of enemies. But there's one day coming when all enemies will be silenced. Will there be no more terrorism? There will be no more threat of of nuclear powers doing something. We won't have to make treaties. Enemies will be silenced. There will be none around. We call that heaven. You call that the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years on earth. There is peace. There is peace on earth. And then part D of the covenant. God will establish David's house forever forever. Through his offspring. So what God is saying is, you wanted to build me a house? No, I'm going to build you a house. And he means David's family. He means his throne. You know, if you're a king living back then, and, another, and you die, another, and say another king sweeps into power, what do they do? They kill your whole family. They wipe out your house. That's what you want to do If you're an ancient king trying to take over, you wipe out the old king's house. Get rid of them all. Which is why in a few weeks, that's going to come into play with Mephibosheth. Foreshadowing. Um, God says, I'm going to establish your house forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now, he talks about David's offspring here, okay? Now, if you look at it closely here... uh, Verse 12, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who build the house for my name. Now, we know that Solomon, Solomon builds the temple. We know who that is, David's son Solomon. Um, I will be his father, he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. My love will never be taken away from him. Solomon did stupid things. I mean, he married hundreds of women. And he worshipped their gods. I mean, he had discipline coming. He was foolish. But there's a deeper reality here. There's one greater than Solomon that will come. Solomon was great. The glory of his kingdom was huge. But there's one coming who is Jesus the Messiah. And he is the one who it says right here, I will be his father. He will be my son. And when it says he'll reign on the throne of David... Well, I mean, that's the Christmas story right there. We could put Luke up. Luke one thirty two. Christmas time. Angel says to Mary, Your son, he'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That's a fulfillment of what started on that day when God spoke to Nathan to talk to David. This is where that started. The angel's only saying to Mary what God has already said. I'm going to put... Jesus on the throne of David, his father. Now, the other part of it is in Hebrews. Um, uh, The writer of Hebrews is trying to show that Jesus is God. He is divine. He is God himself. And he said, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, he will be my son. He's talking about Jesus' deity. Jesus is God. And he refers back to the Davidic covenant. Okay, to prove it. So that, so when you read this, you go, I see Solomon there. Because he's going to sin and God's going to discipline him. And Solomon's going to build the temple. But Jesus is going to build something too. And he's going to reign on the throne of David. What is Jesus building? The church. Now let me try to make a transition in your brain here. Okay, Davidic Covenant... It's a new covenant. Remember Jesus during communion. This is a new covenant in my blood. Next verse. The Lord will build a house. That is the promise of the Davidic covenant. David, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And here it is. Jesus says, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Who will build the church? Now I know there's debate on what does it mean on this rock. What does the rock mean? Um, We've talked about that before here. I just want to focus on this. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will build my church, not you will build my church, Peter. I, Jesus, will build my church. I can't be stopped. Jesus is building a house. We get to be a part of that. In fact, we are the house. But I want you to think about the transition here that, that's required. The, the Lord will build a house. God said no to David. Let, let me try to put all these pieces together. Let's see if I can do it. God, in his sovereignty, by, by saying he's sovereign, we mean he's in control of history, he's all powerful, he's wise. He's got a plan. He is absolutely going to complete his plan. The Davidic covenant is his plan when he spoke it to David. He's going to do all those things. In fact, you're going to get to experience it too. Now, he's going to do his plan. We get to be part of it. He, in his sovereignty, is the initiator of the plan, okay? So so here's David. Here's David. I'm king now. I got a big house. Why does God get a little house? Why does God get a tent? I know. I'm going to build God. I'm going I'm to benefit God and build him a big house. And God's like, you're going to benefit me? You're, you're going to actually do something for me? You don't get to do anything that benefits God because he, he can't be benefited by anything that human beings do. He's God. He's sovereign. He does whatever he wants. He consults no one. You don't get to do things for the benefit of God. That's why he says to David, weren't you a shepherd when I found you? You know, like when he said that, you were a shepherd. You had sheep. Now you've got people, lots and lots of people, and you're the king of them all. But I remember when you just had sheep. I remember when I fought against your enemies. And maybe you were the slinger, and maybe you'd practice slinging that stone for for a decade. But I caused the rock to fly, and I caused the giant to fall. Don't forget, I conquered your enemies, David. He says that here. Okay, God. So, so, do you think David got the point? I'm only going to read one verse. I should read the whole thing, but just one verse for here. Verse 18, Then King David went in and sat down before the Lord. I mean, I love this. It's just like, he hears, I'm going to build you a house, David. Okay, let me sit down for that, you know. Who am I, Sovereign Lord? What is my family that you brought me this far? As if it were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of your house of your servant, and this decree, Sovereign Lord, is more for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. See, I mean, there's just a mind shift when you go from I'm going to go on that missions trip and I'm going to do some good things for God. No, no. I'm going to go to that Bible study. I'm going to master the words of God. I'm going to to go to my neighbor and share the gospel with my neighbor. Can you almost hear God's response after everything we've just said? God says to you, I've been working on your neighbor for two decades. Thanks for joining me. I've been using my word for millennia. Thanks for getting becoming part of the process. Oh, yeah. It's not about me at all. So I get to shift my my, what I'm thinking and doing now and ask this question God, in your sovereignty, what are you doing? And can I join you? Can I join you? Can I help out? even if it's something really small. Can I have a small piece of what you're doing? It's not your big plan. You're not building the Taj Mahal. The Lord is building His church, and He wants to know if you want to join Him. The Lord is reaching people with the gospel. He's been working on people for a long time and wants to know if you'll open your mouth too and join. Do you see the the shift that has to happen in our thinking To serve the Lord in a way that glorifies Him as a sovereign Lord? Okay. I stressed over saying all that this week. I just got to tell you that. Man. Man. Okay. 1 Corinthians 3. We're heading to the conclusion. I hope that this just knocks your socks off like it did me this week. I hope it does. Then you can then you can say, it wasn't anything really cool that Niall said, but this 1 Corinthians 3 just knocked me over. Okay? That's what I want. First Corinthians 3, 9. You're gonna love this. You're, you're gonna love it. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. Now we're talking new covenant, which builds on the old covenant. We're talking about the church. The promises of God and the Davidic covenant go to the church. For we are co workers in God's service. You, mean the Corinthian church and the entire church, you're God's field or God's building. You're God's building. This is not the church. You're the church. You're God's building. Okay, I won't say that. All right, um, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. This is the Apostle Paul, the great church planter. I laid the foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which the one has already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has, what has been built, survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, and yet will be escaped, and yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know you're God's temple? God's spirit dwells in your midst. Okay. Um. The church is God's house, not this building, you. God in his sovereignty tells David, I will build my house. And then Jesus repeats it later and says, I will build my church. Same God speaking. And then he invites you to be part of it. Build with me. Build with me. The foundation's already been laid. That's Jesus. If you build on another foundation, if if you go over here and build on Buddha, Allah, whatever, you build over here, then you're going to hell because you're on the foundation. There's no foundation here. So there's only one foundation. So again, if you go back, I know some of you are from out of town, if you go back to your churches and they're not preaching the gospel, either you reform the church or you abandon it. That's all I had to tell you. You just abandon it. Be done. If you're not building on the foundation of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, who died on the cross for sins, and I've been told about churches where you can't say that, but that's your church, time to go, or time to reform it at all costs. The foundation's Jesus. We get to build on a foundation, and your life is the building. We're building, we're building. We want to grow to know who Jesus is. We want to follow him better to do his work. And then he says, you build with these different construction materials. When you do Bible studies, you're, using, you're doing construction. When you teach Sunday school, construction. When you serve people, construction. When you sing worship, it's construction. But he says there's jewels, precious stones, but there's also wood, hay, and straw. And one day God's going to send fire. That's judgment day for us Christians. We're not going to hell for our sins. We've been forgiven. But God's going to judge how you built your life. Did you build the church up? Did you join God in his mission? What did you build with? And some of us, God's going to set fire to our house, and he's going to burn away all the wood and the straw and the hay. You know what? Wood builds a nice house. Wood, I mean, logs will build you a nice home. You, you could have a gigantic log home, and it has your name written all over it, me, self-centered me, life is about me, I'm the king. You gain the whole world and lose your soul. You've got a nice wood home. It's a palace. And the Lord says, I'm going to set fire to that. Will it survive the fire? And on the day he sets fire to my house, <clears throat> I want to dig through the ashes, and I want to dig deep enough. There's a foundation under there of Jesus, and I want to find some precious stones. That's what I want to find there on that day. Burn the wood away. Burn the straw away. We don't use straw, right? Burn it all away. It's flammable. When you build your life self centered, it's flammable. It'll burn away, and in the ashes, you will see some precious stones that couldn't get burnt up. And that's your reward in the next life. That's your treasure in heaven. What have you been doing? Are you benefiting God? I hope not. hope you're glorifying him and joining him. And then he says, at the end of this passage, some people, uh, verse 15, some people, it's going to all get burned up. It's all going to burn. You've got Jesus and you've got not much else. It's all wood and hay and whatever, straw. And, And you'll survive, but only as one escaping the flames. This is the image. I just talked to a dear friend who had a terrible house fire last December. I just ran into him in Oshkosh. I was in Oshkosh on Thursday. I just ran into him at, this, at the grocery store of all places. <laughs> and he told me about a terrible house fire he and his wife were in. Look, some people on Judgment Day, it's going to be like you've just escaped the burning building and, and you're watching it burn and you've got nothing but the clothes on your back. Now you're in heaven. So awesome that is. But you've got nothing else. You look through the ashes and there's nothing there. You've barely escaped. You smell like smoke. That is the self-centered life that does lip service to God on Sundays. I believe in Jesus, and, and truly you do. You have some sort of faith. But life's really about me. And I've built quite a life. God sets it all afire. So, in this church, this is what we're doing. This is what we're building in this church. I know a lot of you are summer people, but some of you are fall people. If you're around for the fall, we're doing a program called Rooted. This is our building plan, okay? This is the renovation plan. This is the building. We're doing a 10-week intense discipleship-focused thing. I'm going to preach on Sunday for 10 weeks Through the weeks, it's going to cover the basics of the faith. It includes daily readings that you do, journaling, a weekly small group discussion, prayer time, verse memorization, three group small group experiences, and you cover all the basics of the faith. You would the the vision of the EFCA is one building, creating, developing one million disciple makers. We don't got a million people here but I'd like to have a hundred disciple-makers in this church. A hundred disciple-makers? Like, I know, how to, I know how to take a baby Christian and teach them and help them become a mature Christian. Yeah, that, that's what we got to do. That's the vision of the free church, and it's our vision too. That's what we're here to do. Rooted is a key piece of that. Um, what else do I want to say about rooted? Um, I'll say this. Um, the, 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 the participation goal, next slide, I'd like to see 80 percent of our Sunday morning attendance in rooted groups. If you're part of this church and you attend here, I'd like to see you in a rooted group. I'd like you to clear your fall schedule. Make sure you got a day, one night at least, available for this. OK? We can do this. I'm telling you to plan now. We'll be talking about it every week this month. Uh, next slide. Our spiritual goal is to grow to be like Christ through the basics of biblical discipleship in a relational environment. You're getting together with other Christians, doing relationships with them, but you're growing in the basics. That's the point. To grow to be like Christ. That's our, that's our part of our mission statement, by the way. Grow to be like Christ. What can you do for me right now? What can you do to help get this ready? We need eight to ten group leaders for the fall. That's what I'm thinking. Eight to ten groups offer on different days of the week in different locations. I'd love to have a Rhinelander group, Three Lakes group, Eagle River group. We need group leaders. If you'd like to be a group leader, will you contact me, contact the office? Let me know you're interested. I have a training coming up. You have two different dates to choose from this month. Pray about it. Pray about it and let me know. We need group leaders. And I will train you. I promise you'll know what you're doing. I want to close with this, and then we're going to sing a song of response. Would would you look at Isaiah 55? Isaiah 55. And if you didn't love anything else I said, you're crazy, but this is even better. This This is even better. This is the best. Isaiah 55 invitation from the lord come all who are thirsty come to the waters you who have no money come buy eat come buy wine and milk without money without cost it's all free why spend money on what's not bread your labor on what does not satisfy are are any of you really satisfied with what you built for you listen listen to me eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, and you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. God invites you today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ's forgiveness, if you're thirsty to be right with God, and you don't want to go to hell, you want to be in a right relationship with God, please, consider that Christ has died for you and that he loves you. Isaiah 55 is the gospel. Are you thirsty? Then take a drink of Christ. He is living water and it's for you. Let's pray. Father, uh thanks for satisfying my thirst for meaning, for significance. Thanks for satisfying my Desire to know you, to be in relationship with you. Thank you that one day you'll satisfy my thirst to actually see you face to face. Thanks that your covenant that started with David, that that love for David, somehow in your grace gets transferred to me, to us. Your faithful love for David. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wow.